God, we love those words, and that's our cry to you, is that we know and we trust you that all the things that come at us in life, that we can stand strong because you are holy, because you are mighty, and I pray for every one of us in the room that we come from all different perspectives and places today, and I, I just want to ask right now that it's each one of us to be open, to open ourselves up to what you want to say. We just ask him now, just right there in your heart, just say, God, would you speak to me today? I want to know if you're real. I want to know if you're here. I want to be able to know you. I want to be able to experience you and all your grace, your holiness, and your love. That's our prayer, God. We want to know you better. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. That'd be great. I'd appreciate that. And... Welcome to the first, sun, <clears throat> first Sunday of 2019, and so I <clears throat> just want to begin right away by asking you to look in your program and grabbing these message notes out. You're going to need these today. And you follow along, and all the Bible verses will be here, will, are there. But I want to invite you to have the Bible with you if you want to open it to Philippians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. And I just want to encourage you, if you don't own a Bible, we want to give you one. So if you would, just stop at the bookshelf right out here um, and take a Bible. It'll be our gift to you today. And we'd love to see you have one in your home so you could read that. And so that'd be a way that you could engage uh, as well. So, okay, we're, here we are, the first Sunday of 2019. So the question is, how many of you did a New Year's resolution or, or resolution. So raise your hand if you're a resolution kind of person. So many of you did, and some of you are shaking your head. You're like anti-resolution people. Uh, I know there's really nothing in the middle, right? There's either you are or you hate people who are. Uh, and so it's kind of the way it works there. Uh, and so I was just thinking about New Year's resolutions. And so I just want to show you a graph. This is a graph of the most popular New Year's resolutions that would be given in 2019, okay? So here we go, just down the list. Number one, diet or eat healthier. Exercise more. Number two, lose weight. Uh, Save more and spend less. Learn a new skill or hobby. Quit smoking. Read more. Find another job. Drink less alcohol and spend more time with family and friends. So you just look at that. There's a whole list of things there that in case you're wondering if you don't have one and you you need some help, there are some (laughs) ideas there on things that you might choose to uh, tap into, all about resolutions. Funny thing, a mother in our church uh, posted on her social media page uh, her eight-year-old daughter's resolution and then her comments about that that I just thought was so hilarious. I thought I would just read it to us today. Here we go. Here's her eight-year-old daughter said this, you know, it's one of my goals to be nicer to people this year. Pause. I don't think that's really going to work out. (laughs) (laughs) So this is two days in, 363 days to go. She's given up already, okay? That's the whole thing about resolutions. And so I just want to talk a little bit about resolutions as we begin today, just to help us to kind of, you know, how we can wrap our whole brains around this and what talks about what we're going to talk about as well. See, in resolutions, basically what you say when you're going to do a resolution, most resolutions have to do with what I'm going to do more of. You think about this, what I'm going to do more of. So I've got a life that's full, a life that's crazy, a life that's chaotic, and I'm sitting around thinking, I'm going to do more things in 2019. So it just, logically, it doesn't seem to make sense to say, I'm going to do more of something. Basically, they're saying, if I could have more or do more, then I would be able to solve my discontentment 
or my dissatisfaction. Second thing, so you can see where this is going to go and why it's so difficult to keep resolutions. The second thing is this, is that most people believe that if, they make, if they're going to make the changes they want to make, they have to work harder. So do more and work harder. How many of you are already working hard enough, right? So we're already overloaded. We're already extended beyond our abilities. And so we're going to go into this whole thing, and we're going to make resolutions that say, I'm going to do more, and I'm going to work harder in order to make that work. This is why I believe that eight out of 10 people who make New Year's resolutions break them by mid-February. So we just can't keep them because we're entering into a cycle that's actually not sustainable. It's not healthy, and it's not health, uh, healthy in any way. Because what we're doing, and we have resolutions, is we're saying, I want these results, but I believe I can have them as I focus on my own power. It's a self-help kind of self-will thing. I want these results, but it's going to be a result of my own power. So that's the whole thing about resolutions. Now let me just tell you what we're going to do over the next eight weeks in the life of our church family. Why we're going to do this series, why we do that. We're going to talk about that. And because when we come to this whole idea of doing that at church, we can come at it with the same mentality that we do resolutions and say, I'm going to do more, already full life, just going to add on more. Oh, and I'm going to have the guilt of God in it that's going to make it even more difficult because if God wants me to do it, then I really have to kind of cram in more than I can actually do in my life. And I have to do it in my own power. So I'm going to you know, engage, I'm going to you know, involve, and I'm going to go here, and I'm going to do that, and it's in my own power. And so many people, even before mid-February, even if they have spiritual resolutions, they end up giving up on them in some way. So here's what we're going to do in this series, okay? It's going to be so freeing. Our series that we're doing right now, it's not based on what I do. It's not based on what we do together. It's based upon simply, I can make steps and I can make changes as I do this one thing, as I develop an intimacy with God, as I develop an intimacy with God. See, life as a follower of Jesus is not about doing more and more and more things for him in all the arenas of my life until I'm sucking air and then I end up dropping out of Christianity or church because I'm so burned out. See, this series is about how to develop intimacy with God. It's about how to grow in intimacy with Jesus. It's about how to learn to walk in intimacy with the Holy Spirit. It's how to live a with God life. It's how, about how to live a life with Jesus. It's about how to live a life that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and not by my own power. So our series is called Why We Do That. Now, it's designed for several groups of people. First group of people would be those who say, I've always wondered why you do what you do at church. I always wonder what happens beyond, you know, when people come in lobbies and they come into a room like this, why you do the things you do and why church involvement would be so important to so many people that our parking lots would be full and our rooms would be full and people, more and more people want to come and go there. I've always wondered about that. But it's also designed for people who say, you know what, I'm just frustrated in my church involvement. I'm just stagnant. I don't seem to be making steps. You talk about joy and I don't seem to have joy. You talk about being able to have an impact. I don't seem to be having an impact. I don't seem to be changing. I don't seem to be being transformed. And so it's for those who feel that as well. But I say overall, it's for all of us, for all of us who want to develop a closer intimacy with God, that that's really our heart's desire is we want to know him and know him better. So here's the key idea for the series. I didn't get this on the message notes, so you want to write it at the top somewhere. Just write it on your message notes. The key idea is this. We do what we do so that we become who God made us to be. 
we do what we do so we become who God made us to be. So it's not about keeping rules and regulations so I measure up and so I earn achievement or a status or success in some way, but we do what we do so that we become who God made us to be. Okay, so that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to have several weeks. We're going to talk about how, what do we do so that we can become who God made us to be. And that whole, that, the whole thing is I become who God made me to be when I know him, and I know him and walk in intimacy with him. So here's our theme verse, 2 Peter 1.3. 2 Peter 1.3 says this, by his divine power, so first of all, this heads up, how's this happening? By me doing more and doing it with my own power? No, it's by his divine power. God has given us everything we need. You might think about that, everything we need. What does that leave out? Nothing. Everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this, and I want you to underline this, by coming to what? Know him. Coming to know him by developing intimacy with him, being able to be in relationship with him, knowing him closely, being able to experience him. And who's the him? The him is the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and grace. So the idea is, if I'm going to develop intimacy with God, it's because he's called me and he's called me to want to know him. If I'm going to be able to be the person he made me to be, it's because I've learned to know him. Now, let's look at this next verse from Jeremiah, which talks about how do we know him? How do we pursue him? Here's what it says in Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Isn't that what we're thinking about New Year's resolutions? We're wanting a different hope, we're a different future, and we're wanting to have hope for that. And so we engage in those in some way. God says, I'm going to give you this. He said, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will find, you will seek me and find me when you underline this. Seek me with your whole heart. Seek me with your whole heart. So he's invited me to know him, and then he tells me how to know him. I know him when I seek him with my whole heart. Everything that I have, I pursue him with all I know with what I have. Right now, I follow him. So in this series, what we're going to do, we're going to talk about how do we focus on knowing him. Now, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the fire that we just had up in Paradise. And by the way, if you're from that Paradise fire, we just want to let you know, welcome to our church. And if there's anything you need, please contact us. We'd love to be able to help you. But a fire like Paradise, it requires three things in order to have the devastation, or I would say the power that it had. It requires first a spark, so there has to be fire. Second, it requires fuel. If there's no fuel, the spark is not going to burn. And thirdly, it requires wind. It requires wind. And I was thinking about that, and then we have the devastation we have, and I think about that in our spiritual life. See, when you come to God and you say yes to Jesus Christ, he puts a spark in you. He puts the Holy Spirit's presence inside of you. He gives you a spark that he wants to then catch into a fire. And then he gives us fuel. And the fuel is what we're going to talk about in this series. The fuel that then burns. And then we're, he gives us the wind. And that's his power. That's the Holy Spirit. So he gives us the spark. He gives us the fuel. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to fire us up, to empower us, to be able to do what we normally could not do. And it just begins with seeking him with my whole heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, all that I have, I seek him. So just like any relationship, our relationship with God requires effort. It requires mutual engagement. 
So God has said he's going to engage with us, and so then what God wants us to do is to engage with him. There's a God part, a part that he's responsible for, here's what he does, and there's a me part, what I'm responsible for, and what I do, and that's where the church fits in. It's about the fuel. We're here to give all of us the fuel that God wants to use with the spark and with the wind of his Holy Spirit to form us into the people he made us to be. And that we can have fulfillment in him. The church is here to help you engage in certain disciplines and activities that will help you encounter God in deeper and consistent ways. So why do we do that? So that we become who he made us to be. And that's when we know life. That's when we know fullness and we have fulfillment. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the fuel of prayer. And we're going to talk about how we pray expectantly with him. And so we come to prayer. Just know that there's a lot of guilt in the room when I even mention the word. And because some of us come to prayer and we're like, oh, I know I should be praying and I'm not. I know I should be praying more than I am. And so we, we feel inadequate about prayer. And so, you know, we hear people pray so eloquently and then we come to our prayers and they're so stilted and we think that they're not effective. In fact, those may be the most effective prayers, by the way, um, is that when we just come and we're honest and we're real and we're raw. And so I know that about prayer. And so the reason it's so important, though, is that prayer is really the greatest addition of fuel to my life in pursuit of God that I can actually throw into the fire. And so it's why important. We're going to start this today on how to pray expectantly. And one of the books that I recommend for the series is called Prayer. It's by Timothy Keller. And so you might want to pick up a copy of this. It's a wonderful book about prayer and why we would want to pray and need to pray. And I'm going to read a quote from page five. It says this, Talking about prayer, prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. So what that's saying is, is that when I come to prayer, it's about a conversation. And when there's conversation, it requires what? Two things. It requires talking and what? Listening. So I have to have both. When I come to God in prayer, I have to make time that I listen to him, but also that I talk to him and listen to him because, well, he's got something to say back to me. Most of us, we spend all our prayers times talking, and God's going waiting because he's got something to say, but we don't give him a chance to get that in. So it's conversation, but it's also encounter. So as I'm coming to pray, I'm not just you know, praying to the wall or I'm not praying to, you know, to a rock, uh, to a tree. I'm praying with, to the holy God of the universe, and he's invited me into a relationship, and so I get to talk to God, and he loves me, and he's there with me. So, and he goes on to say this, we must know the awe Pray, awe of praising his glory. So that's one thing you do in prayer. And also we did in singing just now. We must know the intimacy of finding his grace. That's where, what happens in prayer. And we must know the struggle of asking his help. All of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence. So what he's saying here is he's saying that when I pray, I can understand the reality of intimacy with him. And that's the goal. That's what we're saying. So I'm just going to talk today about how we can develop that kind of intimacy. So look at this verse from Jeremiah 33. And then there's actually two verses, two through three, but verse three is the one I really want us to focus on. But I put verse two here because it really gives us the inspiration and the motivation. Okay. So verse two says this. Okay. So he's talking to Jeremiah. Just kind of give us a clue who Jeremiah is. Jeremiah is a prophet called by God to speak to his people and condemn them for the fact that they were uh, outside of God's will and outside of God's ways. And so, you know, when people are living outside of God's will and outside of God's ways, they really don't like people telling them that they're out of line. And so what happened is God's people threw Jeremiah in prison and threw him into jail. And he spent a lot of his time in jail. 
Um, and so now Jeremiah's in jail, and Jeremiah hears from God, and this is what God says to Jeremiah, which I would say would be an, our, word today, our word to us today. He says this. This is what the Lord says. So here he is. He's talking to Jeremiah, who's in jail. He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. So he's just, here's who I am. He's saying, this is who I am. I'm the one who made everything you see, Jeremiah. I made the entire earth. I made the, the, the solar system that the earth floats in. And I made the trees. I made the plants. I made the animals. And I made you, Jeremiah. I can do anything. And so you would think that when God started it this way, that the next thing God would start, and I'm about to spring you from jail, right? Because if I can do all things, right, I'll just spring you right now. But that's not what he goes on to do. He was wanting to show him, I'm the one you should be talking to because I have all power. And so that's the encouragement for us as well when we come to God. He's not some distant force that we have to be afraid of and stay away from. No, he's the strongest one who then invites us to come to him in a relationship. And then he goes on to say this. Underline this. Call to me. Just underline that part. Call to me and I will answer you. So call to me and I will answer you. So there's a command and a promise. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and searchable things you do not know. So that word call to me is a very strong way to say this. So basically, it's to cry out to me. How many of you have had toddlers at home still? Or you have your grandparent of toddlers? You know, here's one thing about a toddler. You always know when a toddler has a need, right? Because they, they cry at what level? The top of their lungs. Uh, and so... They know that when they call at the top of their lungs that some humanoid that's bigger than them is going to come and solve their problem, right? And so that's why they do that. And so the, the idea here is that we would come before God, and we wouldn't come and say, oh, God, I'm just so sorry that I have to come to you today. Again, I just really need this need. Instead, we're saying, God, I need you. <laughs> you know, like I'm a toddler, and I'm crying at the top of my lungs. Come and help me, God. Call to me. Some of us, we just need to get a little more verbal in our prayers, right? And get our bodies engaged to do that. And then he says, and I will answer you. It doesn't mean that we have to do it that way for him to answer, okay? Just so you know. But it is what he's saying here. And I will tell you great and searchable things that you do not know. Now, I know that portion right there. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. It's gotten a little squirrely. Um, there's a lot of folks thinking that, that God's going to show us secret codes or he's going to give us secret knowledge or he's going to give us information that no one else has. And if you'll get this information, you'll really find the way to God and you'll find intimacy. With him. That's not what this is saying. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Not what this is saying at all. God invites you to call out to him in prayer, but he wants us to come to him and pray, not just so that we get things from him, but so that we become dependent on him. Because when a toddler's crying out, a toddler's crying out because he or she is dependent on someone else. And he wants us to declare that in our prayers. He wants us to pray as if everything depended on him answering and coming to us in prayer. But he promises not just to answer you, he promises to give you spiritual understanding. And I'm going to talk about what that means and why we need that, especially in the day we live today. So here we go. I want to come to our prayer for 2019. Those of you who have been around for a while know that we have an annual prayer that we do together, and I ask you to engage. We do it like the first week of January and say, hey, we're going to do this together for an entire year, and we want to see God work, and we want to see uh, us grow in intimacy with him, and so we're going to have a prayer that we're going to look at in just a little bit, but we're going to read the words of the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul, like Jeremiah, is writing from prison. It's really significant. 
and he's writing to people who were under persecution, just like Jeremiah was writing to people who were in exile or going into exile under persecution. So that's the kind of the, the people, the person who's writing and the people who are listening. And so when we realize that, you would just think, honestly, you would think that, that Jeremiah's in prison, people in oppression, Paul in prison, people in persecution, you would really think that Paul would begin his prayers by talking that their circumstances would be relieved. But he doesn't. He hasn't asked for circumstances to be relieved. But we're going to talk about what he does pray. We're going to talk about how he does guide. And he's guiding, here's how he's guiding, that we would have intimacy with God if our circumstances stay the same. And as our circumstances stay the same and we have intimacy to him, then we can have the joy that we talked about. We talked about Christmas as we look together at him coming, Jesus coming into our neighborhoods. Here we go. We're going to read Paul's words. And I'm going to read the first portion, 3, three through 6, and then 9 through 11 is the actual prayer. But 3 through 6 gives context. I, Paul's saying, I thank God, my God, every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So being confident of this, he says, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So he's just saying here, I, I, I no question here that God's going to work in your life and God's going to change you. And here's the prayer I'm praying that, on how that's going to happen. Here's the prayer. And this is my prayer, <clears throat> that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best <coughs> and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So let me just say this right up front. This prayer is powerful. This prayer will ignite your spiritual life. This prayer will draw you into intimacy. This prayer will open up the fires of the Holy Spirit to be able to bring fire to the fuel that this prayer is offering in your life. That's what's going to happen as we do this. And so we're calling it our 2019 church prayer. So if you turn your notes over, I want to walk through what we're going to do. So for five days, we're going to pray a prayer for five days. A single prayer, one day of the week. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We have five observations. We have five movements that Paul gives us in this prayer. So let's look at these, one for each day. And I'll just say this, just to remind us, our prayers are effective. So we just want to know our prayers are effective. They change things, but our prayers are also essential. That we must pray if we're going to be able to have intimacy with God because we're talking about developing a conversational prayer life with him and we'll grow in intimacy with him. So... Prayer will change your life. Not praying, you can have the same life. But prayer will change your life. And so we want to talk about how we do that. So five prayers. Okay, the first is this. We're going to pray to God asking him for his empowerment to grow in love. So that's the first thing that Paul prays for. And instead of asking for their circumstances to be changed, he asks for the fact that they would grow in love. He says this, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. So your love may abound more and more. He prays for their love. So when he's talking about this, he's talking about two kinds of love. First of all, he's talking about the love they have for God. And then secondly, he's calling, talking about the love they have for each other. Love more and more. So I just say, if there's a New Year's resolution that would be biblical, it'd be this one. 
I want to love God and love others more and more. And so that's how I'm going to engage in this you know, act of being able to enter into intimacy by saying I'm going to engage to love God and others more and more. And so when we talk about more, we're talking about better in quality. So I'm going to love God more deeply, and we're talking better in quantity, that I'm going to have more love for him because as the fires get stoked, the flames get higher, I'm going to have more reasons to walk with him and praise him for what he's doing. And it's going to be like to love more is saying, you know, as I get to know him better, he's going to give me love. And as I receive his love, I'm get, that love is going to grow inside of me. And as the Bible says, it'll be like it's pressed down, shaken together and running over. That's what we're talking about in abundance here, that we can know when we turn to him. Each one of us can know that. Each one of us can experience that love. So th then we come to the kind of our part, and our part is, is that we would learn to love him better because we get to know him, and then we would learn to love others. Now, if you know that um, you guys have been around here for a long time, I see faces of people that are pretty new, but you know, for the last, let's just say five years minimum, the last five years, I've been teaching relentlessly on this one theme. And the one theme is, is that God has called us, called me and you to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So I've been teaching on this constantly, continually, for the last five years. And what he's calling me to do, and the reason this has been so important to me, is that I believe with all my heart, with all my heart, that as you and I learn to love God better, learn to love him more, learn to experience him more in our hearts, that it will, I'll just say, naturally result in us loving others better and more. But if we don't love God better, there's no way we can love others with integrity. No way. And in a way that they're going to be able to receive that. It's my firm belief that as we experience God's, God's love personally, each one of us, and as under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit, that we will share his love with others. 1 Corinthians 5 says that. The verse isn't on your notes, but it says... As Paul is writing, he's talking about what Jesus has done. And he says, look at what Jesus did for us. That love compels me. That love motivates me, pushes me out that I would love others. So love for others begins with love for God. So I believe when we get our relationship with God right, then we'll get our relationship with culture right. So I'm just praying that we become more and more the kind of church that loves people right where they are, that's being willing to love people who are different than maybe the, the people that are in this room right now in these seats here that would look around and say, I love these people because they're kind of like me. But what about people who aren't like us at all? Do we have the capacity to love everyone always? That's what your pen says. It says we love everyone always. Is that just a slogan? No, that's our heartbeat. And that's who we want to be as a church consistently. But I'm not going to be able to love everyone always if I don't know the love of God for me always. If I don't understand God's grace for me, if I don't understand how desperate I am for him because of the condition of my heart. But when I understand the condition of my heart and know that God loves me no matter what, I can love anyone. And I can love everyone. But it starts with being able to know his love. So that's the first prayer, that everyone would know his love in abundance and it would abound more and more. Second prayer is this. 
We're going to pray to God asking him for his empowerment to grow in wisdom, to grow in wisdom. Now, wisdom is something we all need, something that we all want, but it's not just talking about wisdom on um, you know, how to change the brakes on my car uh, or if I want to frame a house. It's not talking about that kind of wisdom or how to do my taxes. You know, it's talking about a different kind of wisdom. And in context, I just need you to know, even though it says growing wisdom, it, you might think that that's a whole separate deal. It's not. It's growing wisdom about how to love people. So in context, it, it, they hook together. That as my love grows, I need wisdom now, now how to grow in my love for others. So he's saying that Paul's praying here that we will grow, and this is my prayer, that we will grow in our expert, experiential, personal close knowledge of God, and that's developed over time, right? So each one of us, we're in a journey to learn him. Each one of us are in a journey to know him. Some of us love God at at a certain level, and some of us love God at a different level, but nobody's, you know, it really doesn't matter levels here at all because it's life change that we're talking about. Because some people can say they love God at this level, but they don't see any love for others at all. And so what we want is to be able to say the love is changing us and transforming us. And what Paul is saying here is it says, as we learn to love as God has loved us, what it does is it gives us an empathetic ability to love people who aren't like us. An empathetic ability to love people who aren't like us. He wants us to overflow with a love that is based upon the understanding of God's love for us. Now, here's what we need to understand. Because love is so screwy in our world right now. I mean, we think that love is, is accepting everyone just like they are. Well, that's not love. I, I, if I accept you just like you are and you're walking off a cliff, is that love? No, it's not love. So here's the deal. We have to know God loves us just like we are. I love that that's who our church is. God loves us just like we are. God loves us too much to let us stay that way. He wants us to become who he made us to be. And that comes through intimacy with him. So we have to have an insight from God on how to love people that's based upon the truth of this book. That's based upon the truth of this book. See, there is objective truth in our world. But our world wants to say there's not objective truth, that all truth is subjective. And so therefore, truth is subjective to the person who's determining what is true and what they feel. So if you feel something, it's true. But there is an objective source of truth that we have to hold on to, that we have to understand. This objective truth is giving us the ability to, with love, help someone who's about to go off the rails or off the rails. And then we come and we say, God, give me wisdom, because I just say none of us, none of us is at the place where we would say, I'm perfect, right? None of us is at the place where we say, I've got it all together. But what we would say is, God, I want you to use me, and as you use me, help me to be true to this book in my life. And then as I'm true to this book in my life, help me to reflect that to others that they then could know not how to change, know his love, because love requires change, or change requires love, and to know that. Okay, third prayer is this. We're going to pray to God, asking him to give us his empowerment to grow in discernment. Now, this is a key issue, and I think in our culture today, is this idea of discernment. And so Paul prays this. He says that you may be able to discern what is best. So be able to discern that. So let me tell you, you help us understand discernment a little bit. Discernment is the capacity to understand a situation and know what to do about it. You guys know someone that really has good discernment? And so, you know, you go to them because you're like, you know, if I come to you, I know 
that when I talk to you, that you're going to, just by me talking to you, you're going to have so much world experience that when I talk to you, you're going to be able to know what I'm saying, and you're going to be able to have something to say that's helpful to me. But there's a different level of discernment, and that is biblical discernment to know what is true to what God says and be able to hear what someone is saying for that and then be able to give guidance that will actually be helpful to the person. It's the ability to see what others can't see. That's why when Jeremiah said, he will show us great and unsearchable things that we do not know, I think that what Jeremiah was talking about there is he will give us discernment. Great and unsearchable things that we do not know so that then we can speak into culture, our culture, into our world, so we can speak into our world with words of discernment. So we have to go to him and we have to cry out for understanding so that we can apply it to our everyday life. And I just think this is a trait that we need more than ever. As I said, we live in an age where something's true based on how someone perceives it, and I just believe that God has a different way he wants us to speak. He wants us to speak from a place of discernment about what he says, and then how he's going to be able to work in our lives to move people to want to be embraced by his love, okay? Number four, we're going to pray this, asking God for his empowerment to grow in purity, to grow in purity. And so that's what he prays. This is my prayer that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, just understand this, that it's, when he talks about purity here, he's not talking about perfection. So right away, just know that if you're here today and you're saying, well, look at my life and um, here's what's not right. And so God can't love me. He's not talking about perfection, but he's talking about where we're aiming, or I'm aiming for, I'm aiming for purity, and I'm aiming for, um, to have the blameless kind of life, but I'm aiming for integrity, integrity. So yesterday, we had a memorial service here, and as during the, like, it was for a 20-year-old Mitchell who died in a car wreck on New Year's Day, and as we came together uh, we were thinking there might be 300 people that would come, but this room was packed all the way to the back. Like 675 people came to be here for M- Mitchell's memorial service. It was hard. It was really difficult. One of the speakers got up and talked about Mitchell and talked about the fact that he left his house on New Year's Eve, and he left his house and he went out to um, do four-wheeling and then as they were coming in early in the morning, they had an automobile accident, and he died. His brothers went to his house on New Year's Day. And so here's a guy who left, thought he would return, and didn't. What would you find? And here's what they said they found. They found a Bible, his pistol and a Bible on his dresser. So... And his brother said, and his Bible wasn't dusty. They found a tattoo that he had formed, that he had designed, because his mother died when he was four. And the tattoo uh, was of his mother, her name. And then it says, I will do all things for the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's what he was going to put onto his arm. And as we talked about that, what we realized is, is that when he left that day, he had no idea that he was going to die. And then when he died, he had no idea the story he would tell. But the story he told was the life he had been living. 
He sat right back there at the back of the room almost every Sunday and would sit here with his grandparents who raised him. And he was a, man, a young man who was pursuing Jesus to the best of his ability to know him intimately. And so the challenge that day or yesterday for all of us was this. If we left like today and we didn't get to go home, what would someone find on our dresser? What story would that tell? We took it further. What would someone find on our phones? What would someone find in our computer? What would someone find in our calendar and our business dealings? What would someone find? And what we realized there is that that was a call to living a life of integrity. And that's the life that God wants us to live, to be pure and blameless, that each one of us would walk in integrity. And so, guys, I'll just say this. Our next, uh, on January 19th, when we come together for our Guys Summit, we're going to talk about integrity. Talk about integrity in our sexuality, in our relationships, in our finances, and what we do in life. So I just want to encourage you, that would be a great time to come and just get a real taste of uh, what God wants us to do in those areas. But he's called us all to live in purity. Last thing is this. He's called us all. We're going to pray to God and ask him for his empowerment to grow in fruitfulness. To grow in fruitfulness. Verse 11. This is my prayer, that you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So the fruit of righteousness. This is not the fruit of perfection, right? We talked all about righteousness. That means a right relationship with God. So it's not perfection. But it talks about there's a fruit that comes from living with him. And so this is what we're saying. And when I have intimacy with God, it's going to result in a change of character. And the change of character is going to be a fruitfulness. And so um, right before the 2016 elections... I did a whole series on how we are going to be, how we as Twin Cities Church are going to respond to people in culture during that election period, which was so violently, you know, ugly, and as people came against each other, and we started a series, and I still wear my band. It's called Stand Out, and we said that we want to be people who stand out as not weirdos, not crazy people, not instigators, not agitators. But we were going to stand out as people who have God's Holy Spirit in us. And what God's Holy Spirit wants to come from us is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. He wants that to come out of us. And so that's Paul's prayer. And that's our prayer for each other, that that's who we would be as a church. In our community, our culture needs a place for people to come who have spiritual questions. And they don't have the answers where it can be a safe place. That's why I love the original vision of our church, was that this place would be a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints, okay? A hospital for, hospital for sinners. So when everybody who walks in that door, first of all, I just want you to know, if it's a hospital for sinners, that's me, and it's you. So we're all in that category. But we have to be welcome and opening to people who have all kinds of illnesses, all kinds of difficulties, because that's how those folks like us are going to continue to find grace in our lives. And we have to exhibit the fruits of God's spirit in order for that to happen. So that's what we're praying for, that he will use us to reach people who are hurting. That's our prayer. So I want to end 
actually with this verse here from Romans, I mean, from Philippians 1. And um, this is what he goes back and reads from verse 4 through 6. He says this, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this. You might underline that, confident that he who began a good work in you will continue it on to completion into the day of Jesus Christ. And so then he goes on and he says, and this is the prayer. And as this is the prayer happens, you're going to develop intimacy with God. As you develop intimacy with God, then you're going to be drawn to be more <coughs> like him <coughs> in every way. So I'm going to end with an illustration from Tim Keller's book on prayer. And it's at the back of the book. And I didn't, I'm not going to read it from the book because I'd have to wear glasses, so I, I print large, you know, so <laughs> I can do that. I typed it out, actually. So here we go. I'm going to read it. This is at the end of the book. This is what he writes, and I just think this is so impactful. He says, in the second half of my adult life, I discovered prayer. I had to. I had to, he says. In the fall of 1999, I taught a Bible study course on the Psalms. It became clear to me that I was barely scratching the surface of what the Bible commanded and promised regarding prayer. Now, Timothy Keller is a pastor in New York City, so this next part will make sense. Then the dark weeks in New York after 9-11, when our whole city sank into a kind of corporate clinical depression. For my family, the shadow was intensified as my wife, Kathy, struggling with the effects of Crohn's disease... And then finally, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. At one point during all this, my wife urged me to do something with her. We had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every night. Every night. She used an illustration that crystallized her feelings very well. And here's the illustration. This is Kathy speaking to her husband. Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill, every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to doing it some nights? No, she said. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget, you would never miss. And then she said this, well, husband, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't let it just slip our minds. And I would just say today, folks, that that's where we are as a church, as a culture, as a people. We can't let this slip our minds because God so wants to be an intimate relationship with each one of us. But it's not just so that we can have kumbaya in these four walls. It's so that we can then share his love with others and others can know him. So I ask you, will you join me? We're going to pray a prayer a day, Monday through Friday. Kind of come back together and do that. In your program, you're going to find a card, and in that card, it gives you the verses on one side, and in the back side, it gives you the prayer for the day. I like to do this. I like to put it in the time I spend the mo uh, the place I spend the most time in the mornings, and that's the bathroom. And so uh, I put this in the bathroom with me, and so uh, we designed it this year, so all the prayers are on one side, which makes it so much easier for me. 
And so, um, because I tape it to the wall. And so this is a way that you can engage with us and you can pray the five prayers. This is not something that we do. It's something that God wants us to be, to be with him, to pray that we can have intimacy with him. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and let's pray together now. God, we come before you and I just ask that you would give us encouragement about prayer. God, I pray that you would help us uh, to overcome our, our fear of it, our inadequacy about doing it about any baggage we have in the past, about how many times that prayer has been a New Year's resolution that we failed in. God, I pray that you would help us to realize that it's about a, a relationship and how you want me to come to talk to you every day. You want me to listen to you. You have things you want to say. You have things you want to hear from me. God, I pray that you would guide us as a church, that we would truly, as we pray this prayer this year together, we would abound in love, just abound in love. We'd be known for love. We would exude love everywhere that it wouldn't be able to be contained, God, because your people came together and developed such an intimacy with you that loving others was, was just so natural in every area of life. God, I pray for that with everything I have today. We call out to you, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.